How you doing? My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Meinema. And today we are talking about the creation mandate and the question of whether or not humanity is still pursuing that. Yeah, of all the things to be talking about on a, on a podcast, why would we be... This kind of feels random. So where did this come from? Well, yeah, this was my topic. Um, so it, it came from a few places. Uh, we... I spend a lot of time with college students, younger age people, uh, and it's not infrequent that I will hear something along the lines of, uh, I, I don't want my family to be, I, I, someday, you know, I probably want to have a family someday, but I don't want it to be big. Hmm. And, uh, or, or I, I, I want to, you know, I only want like two kids, or I only want one child, or or even capping it at, a, at another number where they're like, this is where I, I, I don't want to go beyond this. And if you start to tease that out and you ask yeah. a question a little bit deeper, you go, why is that? What, what are you mm-hmm. worried about? And there's, there's a variety of answers. Um, but I, I think there's two main leading responses that I've come across that I felt like we should really talk about this because I, I think there's a, um, a need for some biblical thinking on this question. So the two, the two answers that I generally get are, one, I really like my own freedom, essentially. Like, if you look at a young mother who's like got four kids and like she like barely slept that night and everything's a little bit disheveled and she hasn't been able to go do the things that she used to do when she was 19 and single, um, it doesn't always look that appealing from a distance. And so somebody who's now 19 looking at the 29 year old mother goes, I don't think I want to, I want to yeah. spend my twenties for me basically. Right. Mm. Um, and I mean, there's an obvious problem here. <laughs> I mean, do you encounter this in counseling world as well? I mean, it, it happens at any, at any stage of life that this kind of, uh, I want to live my life. I want to, I want to get the most out of life type of mindset. Uh, but I find it more and more with younger people thinking about the question of kids. So this is good. I, I don't know that I see it or that we see it in the counseling room as much as a presentation issue or as a problem, but I, but we certainly see it, um, from the aspect of, well, birth control. Um, yeah, maybe if we have time, we're going to try and talk about that. Um, you know, do we, uh, when do we stop having kids? How many kids? You know, I'm married. I've we've got one. We've got two. We've got three. Mm-hmm. When do we stop? Why do we stop? And I, I think we see that. So, so it's. I don't know that. I appreciate you seeing it from folks who are young and single and considering marriage and children. But I think for those of us who are married and are having children or trying to have children. Um, part of that, and yet there's, if we're going to think about it biblically, which is good, I think the heart issues, and I don't know that we've unpacked, that we, you and I haven't really unpacked this yet, but I would, thinking about that, I would probably argue that whether I'm single or whether I'm married, there's probably the same yep. heart issues sure. behind the why, for, for some of us, right? Why this many and not that many? Why yep. I'm going to stop? Why I'm going to... Why I'm gonna yeah get birth control? Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Uh, you can have ten kids and still have the exact same selfish heart as someone who yeah. has no children. So yeah. th- this is not 
necessarily a like, oh, they've got children, they've they've chosen the right path. Not at all. Um, selfishness and selflessness takes many forms. Yeah, so I, I'm not trying. Fact. I'm not trying to uh, give anybody an excuse or an uh, an out. Um, that being said, it contributes. Yeah, it is a contributing factor. So, let, the, so, we, this, so we got to get. Yeah, we got to deal with the heart issue. But let's. Yes. You, you started off by saying we have to think biblically about this. So the inner man, the heart. We'll, we'll get to that. Yep. But maybe you can maybe set this up. Let's create a biblical framework for thinking about this. And when we you mentioned the creation mandate, mm-hmm. so what do you mean by all of that? And how do we begin to frame this to think about it biblically? Right. So when I go to think about kids or family, I like, what is the purpose? Why are we doing, is it just the, the proliferation of society? Just, just because? Is it, is it a good thing to bring more children about? Which really, in, in many ways, uh, tips the hand to the second thing that I hear frequently of, I, I'm not sure that it's good for the planet that we keep having, right? That we've ha- we have too many people. And so I, I don't want to like contribute to that problem of uh, overpopulation, which is a, a common theme. And, and you can see it take many different forms and maybe we'll tease some of those out. But in, in terms of the, the bigger picture, when I look at that biblically, I think, we are completely missing the ball if mm-hmm. if we are motivated by what makes my life most fulfilling, most enjoyable, most fun, it, it, the most Instagram-worthy type of life. Or easy. Or easy. Yeah, sure. hassle-free. Maybe even you don't go and do anything. Maybe you just want to do nothing. Um, you are still uh, missing the ball. So on that aspect, I think we have our eye on the wrong target. And then on the second side of it, on the... Uh, our Alex Epstein, who wrote a book called the, the the Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, you don't have to agree with him or disagree with him, but he has a a phrase that he called anti-human racism, where people the the climate view of the world sees Mother Earth as this pure and unadulterated thing, and humans becoming a part of nature or imposing their will on nature is a un categorical bad every time. There's no, it, it, it's just, uh, nature would be better without humanity is essentially the view. And again, it falls short biblically. So whether it's a heart issue or a worldview issue, mm-hmm. and obviously there's overlap between both of those, um, I think it fails to meet the biblical reality. So what is the biblical Reality. Right. So I, I want to get to that. That being said, let me try to just really quickly lay out the case that this is actually happening. Okay. Um, because I, the biblical reality is very important, and that's where I want to ultimately get. But some, I'm guessing, there's a lot of people. Uh, hey, somebody texted me. Let's mute that. Um, uh, uh, there's probably a lot of people listening, going, "What in the world are you talking about? <laughs> this is not an issue." Okay. Uh, there's a bunch of different places that I would suggest you go to. Probably the, the most accessible is a documentary called Birth Gap. It's, there's three parts to it, and it, the first part is the only one that's free. So uh, it, not a Christian, n- no attempt to bring about a, a, uh, a biblical worldview to bear on the reality of what's going on in, in no way, shape, or form. It is just trying to show that there is an ongoing global 
decline in fertility rate and what he calls birth gap. And I, I'm, I'm doing this from the top of my head now. I, I think the birth gap that he measures is it's a the number of kids at a certain age in a society versus the number of adults at a certain age in a society. What is the gap between that essential, these essential demographics? So, and you could go to a bunch of other places. The New York Times put out an article uh, in just July that was, uh, let me see, how vast demographic shift will reshape the world. Mm. Um, the Economist had a, a lengthy thing in June and, and looking at the same type of thing through an economic lens. But there's always, in both of those instances, there's a like, this is probably good, right? Like the fewer people is actually, may, you know, yeah, there's going to be some economic problems, but this might actually be a good thing for the world. And so like you have that worldview aspect in there. Um, if you look at in the United States, our own fertility rates are are probably, uh, it depends on who you listen to, these aren't exact hard numbers, 1.7, 1.8 births per woman, which that for uh, replacement rate is by widely accepted 2.1 or 2.2. Um, we make up for that with immigration. That being said, it, it, we ha are essentially a society in decline. So what you're saying, I mean, it's interesting that you're saying that this is a According to the data, this is a global issue. Uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned, we're on a we're on the same uh, we're declining as well. It may not be as steep of a decline as what China is. You read some numbers on China, yep. and they're one if they're at a billion four now. There's some estimates that say by in the next you know 50 years from now they're going to be at 800,000. So 800 million. I'm, I'm just 800,000 800, would be a start. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Need a couple more zeros there, right? Yeah, right. So, yeah, so, but that's significant. Absolutely. I mean, that's huge, both socially, economically. Right. All, all across the board. Yeah. And, and this is true, again, it, numbers are hard, and this isn't all exact, but it, basically, unless you are in sub-Saharan Africa right now, you don't have a replacement-level birth rate in the world. There are a few notable exceptions, but for the most part, and, and some of them incredibly stark, if you look mm -hmm. at South Korea, it, uh, birth rate, uh, again, fertility rate of uh, births per woman is like 0.7, and you need 2.1 to be at replacement rate. So what that means is the next generation is less than half of the generation before. So if you just think about that, right, just think, you can think about that globally, and it's kind of, you know, these just numbers get messed around, but if you shrink that down, you go nationally, okay, if that plays out over the course of three generations, you have half the number of people in your country that you did before, or do that in your own high school class, or do that on the street that you live in. There's half the number of people. That's going to create That's... all kinds of peculiarities that we just aren't prepared for. So what are, I mean, because we want to get to, we want to get to a biblical framework. Here. Yes. We, we've got to get there. Yes. But what are some of the, if this continues mm -hmm. and it appears by all, all data points that yep. it is, it, it especially for the United States. But what are some of those peculiarities? What are some of the consequences of what where this is going? Right. Well, some of the obvious ones are economic. So that's why it was an article in The Economist. But it, it, traditionally, what you've been taught to think about a country's demography is a pyramid, right? You have a bunch of young people, and the it, you get fewer and fewer as you go up as uh, the deaths essentially 
take over. And the older you get, you have very few people over 100 years old, right? And then it you know, slowly declines all the way down. And there's basically this pyramid. At some point in the, I don't know, 90s, most of the developed world shifted their demography to like a column to where it was basically straight all the way up. The same number of elderly people as they did young people, and it brought about a ton of prosperity. So the pyramid was getting squeezed. That's right. <laughs> but now we've, like, inverted the pyramid. So mm. we now have in almost every developed country in the world, and even in a lot of developing countries around the world, an inverted pyramid to where there are fewer kids than there are old people. Um, and obviously those are imprecise terms, but just stick around with me. So at an economic level, that is going to immediately be felt because you're at some point, uh, Al Mohler did a thing on this on, on the briefing and he goes through, he says, you know, right now in Western countries averaged, it's probably about three workers to every retiree. That's about to go to two to one. Well, think about how many people are producing and how many people are in a state of dependency, right? Cause Essentially, that's what happened. You start life being a dependent. You end life needing a dependent, depending on you know how, how somebody dies. But if, in most ways, we've gotten older and we've stayed alive longer. That, that's one other aspect. So you're it, saying it's a labor shortage. There's a potential. It, it's not if, it's when labor shortage. Well, well, you we're already experiencing that now, are we yeah. not? If you look around, who's hiring? Well, everybody. Yep. Why? Because there's just aren't enough people to fill the jobs. The baby boomers are retiring, and we don't have incoming labor force that meets it. Well, again, that just has all kinds of consequences. Our particular concern is of worldview, is of uh, theology. How do we interact with this? But it's it's important to try to to lay the groundwork that this is a reality of what's going on. The, the demo, uh, demography is... Again, it's an imprecise science, but it's precise enough to know. And this isn't a like, oh, we should do something about it. We needed to do something about it 20 years ago. So th this is an inevitability at this point. Even if birth rates spiked today across the globe, we are still in for a very, very peculiar 20 years of shifting so you're saying this isn't going to get solved by having some kind of global Zoom call and everybody? Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I don't think we're jumping in on that one. Okay. So yeah, it, it's a it's a problem. Um, what do we do? All right, uh, and and you can go. I I don't need to try and detail out all of the the numbers and the specifics. Go look it up. It's not something that isn't being talked about now. I'll. For the size and scope of what it is, it should probably be talked about more. But you can find it if you want to go look around. So what do we have to say as the church? When we look at this biblically, what do we need to grapple with? Hmm. Um, and, and the first thing I think we need to do is with that creation mandate. So the very first command that humanity is given, right? You go through the creation in Genesis chapter 1, the first thing that God tells people, here's what you're to do, is be fruitful and multiply. And the reason they are given that command is because they, when they multiply, take the image of God and they spread it around the globe. So the multiplication of humanity is a spreading of God's image. Yeah. So what you're saying is, in, in if we kind of fast forward in a in a in a big way, part of my purpose, why I was created, was to one image God to be a visible representative of the invisible God but also to reproduce more image bears. Yes. For his 
glory. To spread his image and bring him to bring yeah. as many reflections of the image of God into the created order as we can. So that is part, not all, but part of God's purpose for me. Biblically, that is a a categorical good. Yeah. The the and, and again, we I just had uh the story of uh first Samuel on Sunday. Hannah bringing Samuel into like a birth in the Bible is always a good thing. Like there it's an it's a, a time of celebration. Like, look at this. We have an, a new image bearer of God. We God has blessed us. It's always associated with blessing. And we've kind of taken that blessing and and looked at it suspiciously. Mm. If uh, statistically at least. I'm not suggesting that every single person in every single family unit is having this type of view, but statistically, that's that's just the reality. So um, we have to first start with that, that, that we flip that script and say the, the view that humans are a bad thing for the planet is not biblical. It's just not biblical. Uh, and you can see there was a, a hilarious story. Uh, you know, people have talked about sac- it is a, a modern uh, secular version of sacrificing to the gods and sometimes that's more palpable than others. It got a lot of attention because Elon Musk tweeted about it, that the nation of Ireland was looking at, at uh, putting to death, I don't know, it was like 2,000 cows for the climate. And you're like, literally, you're offering sacrifices to the earth. It is a deity at that point. What mm-hmm. else could you describe that as? And, and you know, it, it, it's couched in a lot of philosophical materialism and a view that of this earth is the only one we've got. And, and yet it's, if we dig deep, we're like, that's a religious thing. We've, we've replaced God with a view that the earth is yeah. the ultimate end. And so we have to protect this thing and humans are a bad force on the earth instead of what the bi- biblical view tells us that humans are a reflection of God's image Go and be fruitful and multiply. We've replaced the creator with the created, right? That's I mean, right. That's, that's it. The um, so as you, I think what you're saying then is, whether I'm thinking about having children, mm-hmm. not having children, how many children, at the very front of that is the creation mandate. Before I get to any of the the specifics, right? I have got to start the, there. The biblical view that. We are God's image bearers, and we are made to spread that image. So that be fruitful as, and multiply. As far as the purpose and having children, that's a big part of it. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So uh, a couple quick uh, teasing out of uh, of that idea. Um, first, as Christians, what are we to do with this this problem that is a global one? Um, we are to embrace the family, celebrate that. Uh, it is one of my favorite things around here at Headwaters that <laughs> the nursery is almost always full. Thank, thank a nursery worker, but also thank a congregation that has a proper view of family, yeah. that that is a good, that is a good thing that we are to celebrate and say, continue on, continue on producing children and families that are reflections of a view that says this is a God-given gift. Don't elevate personal freedom at the expense of children. Don't elevate the nature at the expense of children. Elevate the view that God's image is imparted into those children and do so with great joy. So I think that's first. Yeah. I, yeah. And if I, I, 
There's lots of ways to think about that. I mean, if you are a young couple, think about having children to the glory of God. Don't just have kids because that's what your friends do. Do it with a purpose. Have children knowing that this is a a God-honoring choice. If you don't, if you're past childbearing years, help families who have young kids. It's hard. There are moments of very difficult, disheveled parents, (laughs) that tired look in their eyes, and you go, how can I be somebody who comes alongside and and doesn't just uh, say, hey, good job, and then walk away? But can, can I actually encourage and help build up families? Because that is building up the image of God. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, all of the, even in, even in, in my own life, but I, in, in how many reasons we have for limiting the number of children, for not having children. And oftentimes it comes down to, I mean, the idea of the God's purpose and having children, the creation mandate, if we're honest, is nowhere on the radar. Hmm. What's on the radar is, well, you know, my comfort, my ease, my ability to travel, my, I, you know, I don't want to be tied down by a dog, a cat, or a child. Right. And, you know, I mean, the human heart is capable of all kinds of, of reasons, but they're all at the center of all of those isn't God and mm-hmm. his, and the image and glory. It's me, 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 me. Yes. And we're, we're starting in, for those of us that think that way, we're, starting in the wrong place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I think we've, uh, we've began in the wrong place while aiming at the wrong target. Mm. And it, it's producing poor results. <laughs> um, so since we're there, why don't we just, just open the door of the question of birth control just ever so slightly. You, you're going you're gonna to open the door. Not, we're going to stick I'm our not, foot in it. And, and then, then run away and close that door really quick again. <laughs> um what do you think when we, when conversations on birth control come up? And I, I don't we don't need to get into all of the the nitty gritty, um, but what does a good biblical worldview inform us on that question? Yeah, so I think I think uh, if we're, you know we're just going to crack the door, we're not going to open it all the way. We've already talked about the heart, and I think that we look at we have to start with. And again, our heart, Jeremiah 17 talks about how our heart is deceived. And so we need other believers around us to help us to think through this. And yeah. But it starts with my motives. Right? So yeah. It, yeah. That's good. when we talk about, you know, birth control in general, what are my reasons, right? I mean, is it about, is my convenience, uh, big idea number one, is my convenience, my lifestyle, you know, Am I at the center of that decision, or is God at the center of that decision? I could say, I frame it a different way or say, use different words. In what ways is my decision on birth control a faith or not a faith? Yeah. Um, you and I had a little bit of a discussion on this in the hallway, and I appreciated the insight you had just as you, in your own life as you worked through this idea and labored through it. You approached it from an idea of it, it. It was a faithful response. I mean, God was at the center of your thought process and ultimately your decision. And and I think I related, you know, our own in our family with with my wife and I. 
I was at the center of my, my decision on, and our decision on all of that was, if I'm being honest, going back, it was just centered on, well, the very thing I'm talking about is my convenience, um, my ease, my pleasure. And it really wasn't a decision of faith. And I think, and then I'll kind of end here, but I think God's more concerned, and we know this biblically, God's more concerned with the why, the heart behind it, as opposed to the specifics, the, the, the specifics, yeah. the how, or you know, whatever. No, so. I, I don't think I have anything to add. I, I think you're absolutely right. What motivates that? If if you're motivated by selfish ends, then I think you need to rethink what yeah. and how you're doing that. I, I, I there's a variety of opinions on specifics and choices. We'll leave that for another time, and by another time, I mean hopefully never, um, uh, <laughs> or someone else who's smarter. Wisdom than you has and I. spoken. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, but don't be don't be motivated by your own convenience and comfort. Yeah, and and the truth is, you know, in the church, I don't know that we, as we f- think about that and implement that, I don't know that we've, as a whole, are much different from the world on it. Mm. Um, sadly, and uh, mm. and so. Again, it's where's God in the decision process, and yeah. where is the creation mandate in the decision process? And um, again, how much am I at the center of it, and how much is God at the center of my decision? That's good. All right, wh- one last thing that I, I wanted to, to just bring to this conversation when I start thinking about the changing demographics of the world, what we've been called to do as Christians. I, I think it's uh, incumbent upon us as believers— to look at the reality of where the demography of the world is going and say, how can we minister well to elderly folks mm. who don't have any family? Because there is going to be a growing portion of pretty much every population of essentially grandparents without grandkids. Mm. Um, or, or even parents without with one child who lives thousands of miles away and doesn't see them. So, and we can think through that problem locally. We could say, how how do we take a big intentional swing at this problem of people who are like, you know, at one point they'd show, you know, I don't want to have kids, or I'll wait until my thirties, and then they found out in their thirties they that's not as easy as just flipping a switch. It doesn't just happen, and they weren't able to have kids. That that documentary that I mentioned. Um, it, a big portion of it. I, for the record, I've only seen part one because part two and three, you have to, it's part of their Patreon thing. I wasn't going to go down that road. But uh, a big part of the documentary is what they called unplanned childlessness, that people wanted to live for themselves in their 20s, or and then they got to their 30s, and it was much harder to find someone to get married to who wanted to have kids than they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it just, the, the, the selfish choices early on in life had all kinds of repercussions that they weren't ready for. Um, so uh, that is going to be a growing portion of the human population. How do we do that locally? What does it look like in terms of a missions strategy to go and minister to people in nursing homes across the globe? And, And that might be something that we look at and say, Hey, when you retire, don't just settle down into a life of comfort and ease. Could, could you go still be a missionary and, and all really, a practical sense. Could you spend your retirement years ministering to those who don't have Christ? It's just something for us to consider and think about how to do that well. Yeah. So you're saying that with 
the trajectory that we're on, and mm-hmm. it's not going to change, um, in at least in our in our foreseeable lifetime. Then, in our local church here at Headwaters, we're going to have more folks that, as they age, um, do not have family members to care for them. So this, we need to be thinking about this strategically, tactically. How are we going to minister to these folks? Yeah, I, I think that's b- both true of those within the church. There will be a growing number of elderly people who don't have family or, or have very few family, and they may not be close by. And then also in terms of evangelism. Got it. I think a lot of churches have ministries to senior saints. We need one to senior sinners. Mm-hmm. We need to go out and find uh, uh, C.T. Stud. Uh, the old evangelist has a, a line about people who want to live within the sound of church bells said, not me. I'd like to set up a rescue mission within a foot of the doorstep of hell. You know, mm. like, geez. Yeah. How, how do we, people who are on the last chapter of their life who don't have Jesus, what a needed mission field. Go, go yeah. and proclaim the good news. Don't let them step into meeting their creator without having an op- opportunity to hear the gospel. Yeah. And you know, as you're talking, it occurs to me that th- at that point, a lot of them are thinking about, I mean, they're facing uh, yes. the, they're facing yes. the fear, the uncertainty of death. In, in a real way, they're ready. They're ready to hear because they're asking questions. They're experiencing fear and anxiety for what comes next or what doesn't come next, the what ifs and, or the if onlys. And so they're, they've come to learn that the riches and everything else they depended on for happiness and joy and contentment has not satisfied, and they're coming to the end, and they're asking questions. So, in a real sense, the the ground is fertile and and is ripe for evangelism. It is. I uh, just very briefly used to work with a uh, in a military base when I lived in Chicago, Great Lakes Naval Base, and a bunch of the guys that I worked with were in their basic training. And did you? And we have something we need to talk about. We do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a bunch of the guys there were, this was peak war in Iraq and Afghanistan. They were corpsmen in the Navy, and the Marine Corps doesn't have medical personnel. So they were graduating and being sent to the front lines. And it was the most fertile ground for evangelism that I've ever been a part of because those guys knew IEDs and bullets are going to be coming their way in a matter of weeks. Yeah, they were. There was no pretense. There was no veneer of, if they didn't know Jesus, they would straight tell you. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's something about, looking mortality in the eye, that's going to lead to a, a lot of yeah. candor in terms of spiritual standing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, real quickly, uh, one one book suggestion, unless you have a second one. Nope. Okay. Um, Andreas Kostenberger uh, is a scholar and wrote a, a great book. If you want a theology of, I don't, I don't know, what's the exact title? Theology, marriage and Family? Let me look it up real quick while I'm talking. Um, and it, I think it is Marriage and Family. Uh, um Marriage, let's see. God, marriage, and family, rebuilding the uh, biblical dot, 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 Google link, uh, rebuilding the biblical foundation. There you go. Um, if you want a, a, a really well-cited, well-biblically grounded uh, discussion on family and these types of questions, uh, that would be the standout suggestion. Very thorough. Yeah, He's it's, very it's a great thorough. book. Great. Um, all right. I, I hope... Uh, you're encouraged. Uh, oh, one more thing I wanted to say. I, I missed it earlier. Um, as we celebrate the family, if you want to have kids and you're not able to, this is not a slight on you. Um, that happens. 
And this doesn't mean you're lesser. It doesn't mean that that is not a, uh, that necessarily that God has punished you, although we've talked about that in the past. There may be elements of that. That being said, um, please don't hear this celebration of family as uh, any way downgrading you in terms of uh, value to the local church or anything of that nature. That, that is uh, I, I, not intended in any way, shape, or form, and I don't want anyone to take that away. So yeah. please don't don't get there. Um, and that being said, we can still celebrate the family and know that there are those who want and long for families and haven't been able to, and and that's okay. That God, God, there's grace for God in both of those instances. Yeah, that's that's a good good place to end. Right. Thank you. Great. Thanks for pondering with us, and uh, go love your Lord better. All right. Have a good one. Thank you.